Jesus the Son, dealing with the oneness of God. Last Wednesday night, we had two, le- two sessions of one-hour lessons. That's how we did that. We went over the allotted time. So, Brother Bloss, I called him the next day or so, and I said, i tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to split that into two sessions, and it's still going to be lessons, one-hour lessons in oneness. All right? We talked about pluralities in the New Testament, and then the second session was, My God, My God. So if you weren't here for that message, you might want to get it. We'll bless you. Okay, in the name of Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 1. God is a great God. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's read that together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Good. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Say praise the Lord. Lord. Jump over to verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Lord Jesus, we ask, Father God, that you would be honored by the teaching of your word tonight. Anoint us, God, I pray, in order to teach your people. We thank you, Lord, for your awesome presence, for you alone are God. We glorify you. We magnify your name. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus the Son. I'm going to start out tonight. And this is out of Dr. David Bernard's study guide on the oneness of God. Although I am not following these lessons exactly per se, I'm trying to put lessons together that sort of fit a certain area and then delivering them to you. But I want to go through this this information here so you'll understand it, all right? Historical doctrines of Christ or the Son of God. You ready for this? This is what people say about the Lord in history. Different doctrines in history. The uh, Ebionitism or uh, the Ebionites or Unitarianism. How many of y'all ever heard of Unitarianism? You probably haven't heard of the Ebionites or Ebionites. But you have heard of the Unitarians, right? All right. What they believe about Jesus, the Son, is that they deny His Spirit. They believe in His humanity, but they deny this, that He was God. Okay? So anytime somebody, you talk to somebody and you tell them you're a one God believer and they tell you that you're a Unitarian, 
you tell them, no, you're not a Unitarian. Because a Unitarian doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the spiritual aspect of Jesus. Okay? They believe uh, in his humanity. Second historical doctrine. Jesus was a spirit only. This doctrine denies the humanity of Jesus. So that this doctrine teaches, and this is Gnosticism, uh, dos, docetism, docetism, I believe is the way you pronounce the word, but it's a Gnostic doctrine, denies the humanity of Jesus. They believe that he came, but he was a phantom or just a spirit or just a ghost. Anybody that denies that Jesus Christ has not come, if they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, so the Gnostics taught that Jesus could not have been God come in the flesh because humanity or natural physical things, are, they're evil. So for God to have come and take on human form, a physical form, would have made him evil. That's the way they come up with that doctrine. But they deny his humanity, so that is the spirit of Antichrist. The next doctrine in history is that Christ was a divine being. Christ was a divine being who temporarily, temporarily dwelt in a man, Jesus. Temporarily dwelt in a man, Jesus. And this is also Gnosticism, but it is Corinthianism. This man evidently Corinthianism, not Corinthianism. But Corinthianism, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-I-A-N-I-S-M, is also a Gnostic belief. And they taught that the Christ was a divine being who temporarily dwelt, temporarily dwelt in the man Jesus from the time of his baptism right up to just before he died. Okay? And so just before he died, then the Spirit of Christ, the divine Spirit of Christ, they say, departed from him. All right? Number four, Jesus, this doctrine teaches, Jesus was a second divine person subordinate to the Father or subordinationism, which means that teaches that he is not the Father. Okay? That he was a second divine person, but not the Father. Number five, Jesus was a human who was later deified to some degree. This is called adoptionism. At some point in his adult life, this doctrine teaches that Jesus was deified. Okay? Or that God adopted him, and, or by, by the operation of adoption made him God. At some point in his, his adult life. Okay? Number six, Jesus was a created deity or a God, a demigod, a lesser God, but not the one true God. And we talked about that one, Arianism, that he was a God. That's what Jehovah Witnesses teach today, that he was a God, that he was Michael the archangel before he became a man, and then he became a God in human form. Not God, but a God. Okay? That is Arianism. Number seven, Jesus had an incomplete human nature. This doctrine was held by the Apollinarianism, or it's Apollinarianism, okay? That he did not have a complete human nature. 
All right? Jesus, listen, as a man, the son, he had a complete human nature. He wasn't just a physical body, a shell that had God's spirit in him. He had a human will. He had a human spirit. All right? He had a human soul. Give you a few scriptures. Uh, okay, he was praying in the garden. He said, not my will, but your will be done. So he's submitting his human will to the will of the Father. So he's got a will. He's got a spirit. You with me here? Okay. Uh, he's hanging on the cross. He says, I commend my spirit. Remember he prayed? He said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So he's commending his human spirit to the hands of God. All right? And then the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying. He said, my soul is, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, sorrowful even unto death. So he had a will. Not my will, but your will be done. He had a spirit. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had a soul. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. So Jesus, as a man had all of the nature of man in him. Human body, human mind, human spirit, human soul, human will. Okay? Not just a, 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 a body that God was in. But Apollinarianism taught that Jesus wasn't, had an incomplete human nature. Well, the Word of God refutes all of these. <clears throat> Number eight, Jesus had one nature... One nature was dominated by divinity. This is called monophysitism. Wow. Monophysitism. There we go. Monophysitism is how you say it. Or monothelitism. Monothelitism. That Jesus had one nature dominated by divinity. We know that's not true. Number nine, Jesus had two natures unified, not in substance, but only in purpose, action, or appearance. This was held by Nestorianism. Nestorianism. The reason why Nestorian held this view is because he did not want this, the false doctrine that said that Mary was the mother of God to be taught. It's, and that's a false doctrine. Mary was not the mother of God. Mary was the mother of the humanity of God. He got his, Jesus got his humanity from his, his mother's side. He got his deity from his father's side. Okay? So anyway, this doctrine teaches that he has two natures, but not, it's not substance. It's just purpose. It's just action it's, uh, or appearance. Okay? Number 10, the traditional formulation, traditional formulation, this is the Council of Chalcedon, 451. Jesus is one person with two natures. Now, of all of these views, this one here is the closest to Scripture. That, uh, again, in one person, there were two natures, human and divine but I would add to this that it's more than divine. He's not just human and divine. He's human and deity. 
Okay, divine is not sufficient to describe his deity, although he is divine because he is deity. But anyway, let me jump down here after reading these 10 to you. This is why I share with you in, in times uh, about natures. We use the term nature, that there's two natures in Jesus Christ, his human nature and his divine nature or the nature of God that was in him. Listen to what David Menard says. Rather than speaking of two natures in Christ, perhaps it is better to speak simply of his humanity and his deity. Okay? He said, just saying, okay, Jesus had a dual nature or two natures. Just say he was both God and man. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. He was Anthropos, God-man. Not half God. Not half man, 100% God and 100% man at the same time, okay? It's going to be hard for us to get away from that term nature, but that's, anyway, it's probably better, again, he says, and I agree to say his humanity and his deity, or to speak of the one God as revealed in Christ and and at the same time of Christ as a real man, Okay? So again, divinity and humanity. So these are doctrines that are related to the Son of God throughout history. Now, what do we believe? That God came in the form of a son. That the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, whatever mode or or activity that God is in, whether he be Father, Son, or Holy Ghost, is always Jesus. Okay? When you say Father, you say Son, you say Holy Ghost, it's just different manifestations of the one God. But Jesus was not just the Father. Jesus, because to, to look at Jesus and say, okay, Jesus is the Father and He's the Father only, is to deny, to deny Scripture. Because Jesus was not just the Father, because the Father is the invisible Spirit. So He was more than just the Father. He was also the Son, which means the Father was in humanity. The humanity was the Sonship of Jesus. God coming in human form, they call him the Son of God. Does that make sense? So we neither deny the deity of Jesus nor his humanity, which some of these doctors have done. All right, now since I put you to sleep, let's go to the word of the Lord and look at it. Jesus the Son. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus the Son. Okay, it won't take me a little time to get the cobwebs out of my mind. Probably get him out of yours too. But in the Bible it says, now, when you talk about Jesus the Son, you are talking about God in flesh. You are not talking about a second person. You are talking about God come in flesh. The invisible God become invisible. Okay? Not just Father, the invisible Spirit, but God in sonship. You with me? So that the invisible spirit comes in the form of the visible humanity. When you talk about sonship, Jesus the Son. All right. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is who? The Word was God, or is God. This word here, it's translated from the Greek word logos, which means the plan, the purpose, The will or the thought of God. The will, the purpose, the plan, 
the thought of God. But the will, the plan, the purpose, and the thought of God is God. So technically, when you say that Jesus is the Son, all right, and you say Jesus is the Word, you really technically can't say that the Son is the Word. Because the Word is God. The Sonship is the humanity that the Word lived inside of. That makes sense? The Word is God, His plan, His thought, His blueprint, His purpose, His will. You can't separate that from Him. You can't separate my thoughts from me, my plans from me, my purpose with me, my will. You cannot separate that from me. You understand? So the Word was in the Son. The Word was not the Son because the Word... Now listen. The Word was not the Son. The Word was in the Son. You with me? The Son is not the Father. The Father is in the Son. Because when you talk about sonship, you're talking about God's manifestation in human form upon this earth. When you say sonship. When you say son, you're not saying father. When you say son, you're not saying God. When you say son, you're not saying word. When you say son, you're saying humanity in which the word, the father, and God dwelt. You with me? So the invisible God has become visible. His plan, his purpose, his will, which is who he is, all right? Which is God, with me? Put a visible form on that will so that you could see his will and see his purpose and see his plan and see his thoughts physically. When you saw Jesus on this earth, Time you saw the love of God demonstrated. Well, you know, you might know about the love of God, but then when Jesus comes, you see the love of God. You understand? Okay. So now we've got the Word, and, but the Word is God. It's His Spirit. You understand? The Word is not visible. The Word, because it's God, is the invisible Spirit of God. Plan, thought, blueprint, right? But that Word, the invisible God... He comes and he reveals himself in a man. But that word does not become visible until verse 14. Okay, let me read verse 14. And the word was made flesh. God was made flesh. The plan, the will, the thought, the purpose of God was made flesh. God was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Say, Son. Full of grace and truth. So the word was made flesh. When the word was made flesh. The Bible tells us. That he is the only begotten of the father. Sonship. So now we have deity. Invisible deity. Invisible spirit of God. Now made visible in a human form. That is Jesus the son. God coming in a human form. The Word coming in a human form. You with me? His plan in human form. The invisible, invisible form. Okay? 
John 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him or revealed him. So when Jesus comes, he is the flesh in whom God dwelt, walking among men, revealing himself through Jesus, showing his plan, his purpose, his will, and his thoughts manifested in invisible form. He put sight to the invisible God. Let me put it this way. God put sight to the invisible God when he came in Jesus, the Son. The only God you're ever going to see is Jesus. If you, if you uh, happen to be blessed enough to make it to heaven, the only God you're ever going to see is Jesus. You cannot see his invisible spirit. But you can see Jesus, okay, the visible manifestation of God. That's sonship. That's Jesus' son. So do you understand? Not the father one person, son the second person. One person. God in the Old Testament didn't have a body. God in the Old Testament was a spirit. At times he manifests himself in a visible form called a theophany by some. But he did not have a physical body in the Old Testament. Not until he came and was born into this world did God put on a body. Now God has a body. But he didn't have one prior to being born into this world. God come in the flesh in Jesus. With me still? Okay, so the scripture says no man has seen God at any time. Well, let's go and look at some scriptures here in the Old Testament that kind of seem or may seem to contradict that. Moses, in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. <clears throat> and we'll start there with verse 7. <clears throat> and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Now, the tabernacle was a picture of who? The true tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us or dwelt among us. Moses took the tabernacle, pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. When they sought the Lord, they went to where? To the tabernacle. Because that's where God was. He was in that tabernacle. Okay? Now, we have located deity in the Old Testament. We have located an invisible God. And that invisible God's location is in a tabernacle. But he's not, you know, he's everywhere. So all of God is not inside of that tabernacle. But you've got a visible manifestation of God called the glory cloud. A pillar of fire by uh, night and a cloud by day. Visible manifestation of God. But where's it located? Tabernacle. All right. Now, verse 8, came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle, unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. Now, watch this. Came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle that the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. God talked with Moses. 
And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Yod-Heh-Vav-E, Hava, spoke unto Moses face to face. But John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time, but this verse says that God spoke with Moses face to face. Okay. Let's keep reading. He says, As a man speaketh unto his friend, he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. Thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. Thou hast also found grace in my sight. So the Bible tells us in John 1.18 that no man has seen God at any time. But in Exodus 33, the scripture says that Moses had a face-to-face encounter with God. All right. How did Moses see God? You with me? What kind of sight did he have? Did he see a visible God? Did he see God in visible form? Did he see God with his vis- visible eyes physically? The Bible tells you how Moses saw God. He saw God by his word. He saw God audibly. It was audible sight, not visual sight. It was audible sight, not physical sight. It was sight by hearing. So that Moses, there's no contradiction in the word of God. Moses did not see God. It says he saw him face to face. But in the meaning he saw a visible God or a physical, physical form. He heard God. So God was seen how? Audibly. It was sight by voice. Now that, that'll blow your mind. You start thinking about that. The way that you see God right now, the Lord is in this place. Now, <clears throat> the way I see God is not always with a visible physical eye. The way I see God is by hearing God. So it's audible sight that Moses experienced when he saw God face to face. God talking to him. So face to face is an expression of God speaking to Moses. And giving Moses sight by hearing. It was audible sight. Amen. Now I don't have time now. But you talk about dreams. You talk about visions and dreams. You with me here? When you have a dream. You're not seeing. You're hearing. When you have a vision, you're seeing something. Okay? So when, again, now let's go to Numbers 12. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. Of course, that's enough right there. See, people will read that and say, look, Moses saw him. John 1.18 said, no man has seen God at any time, but Moses saw him. How did he see him? He saw him by audibly. Sight by hearing. So what, what is the point? The point is this. You will never see God except by the word of God. You see God through his word. Through his, through his written word, you see God. You with me? 
You see God through his written word. You see God through his spoken word. And you see God through his living word. Jesus is the living word. So you will never see God apart from his word. Okay. Numbers 12. The scripture tells us here in verse 8. Uh, I'm just going to read from there. With him, he says, with Moses, let me back up, verse 7. Mo, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all his, my house. I'm going to back up. I can do this. 12.4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make my, myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. So you see a vision, but you hear a dream. So if you ever have a dream, you're not... You're not trying to see it. You're trying to hear it. A vision is something you see. A dream is something you hear. And he said, this is the way he would speak to the prophets. But he says in verse 7, my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. There it is. Face to face. So it's sight by hearing. It's audible sight. Not a physical, visible sight of God, but it is a hearing of God. He said, I will speak with him mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Now, a similitude, you know, you could say that this is a a theophany or a visible manifestation of God, but it's still not God. He didn't see God. He saw a similitude of God. But when you talk about face-to-face, Moses seeing God face-to-face, it's mouth-to-mouth. It is God revealing himself by his word. You can only know God through his word. You understand? That is his self-revelation. That is his self-disclosure to us. It's by his written word, his spoken word, and his living word that you can know God face-to-face. You understand? It is not until you get to John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is not until you get to verse 14 that the word becomes visible. Now, Jesus is is the word in visible form. (laughs) But I still see God tonight. When I read his word, I see God. When I speak the word, you see God. When you read the word, you speak, uh, uh, you hear God. When the, Jesus is the living word. So it's talking about revelation of God. Okay, you with me here? Give God some praise. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, so it's God by, it's God sight by hearing. It is sight by, see, when we dream, we think we want to see something. God said, no, I want you to hear something. You have a vision. God wants you to see something. All right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's different ways to see God. <laughs> One is visibly, physically, when He came in Jesus Christ in the New Testament, He is not a theophany. When God became a man or entered into sonship, 
That was not a theophany. You with me? In the Old Testament, if he did appear in a pillar of fire or a cloud by day or in, in the angel of the Lord, it was just a theophany, a temporary manifestation of God, a similitude of God. All right. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So, if you want to see God, you got to see him through his word. His written, his spoken, and his living word, Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. Because God is the word. In the New Testament, he is Logos. In the Old Testament, he is Debar, the word. Okay. Are y'all awake still? <laughs> what you have then, when you read John 1 and 1 through 5, you have a description of, G of, of uh, Jesus' divinity and his deity. A descriptive passage of his divinity and his deity. Now, I don't want to lose you here. Are y'all with me up here to this point? Okay, I'm trying to get it where I can understand it. If I get it there, then you can probably can't understand it. But it is a description of his divinity and his deity. Now, when you talk about God, 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 deity, means that he is perfectly and absolutely God. When you say deity, theos in the Greek, or theotis in the Greek, Godhead. All the fullness of the Godhead is bodily in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of Theotis is in Jesus Christ. That word Theotis comes from Theos, which means deity. Jesus is God. But Jesus is also Theios or Theotis, which means divine. Now, what is the difference? Some people will tell you that Jesus was divine, but that he was not God. Divine, divinity and deity are different. Divinity is when you get a glimpse of God. Divinity is to be God-like. Divinity is the attributes of God, like power and love. That's divinity. Divinity is resources. Divinity is the effects. Divinity is the rays of the sun or the rays of God. But God is, come on somebody, he is not, he's not just attributes and he's not just rays and he's not just an effect and he's not just resources. God is the source behind the resource. Deity. Deity is the source behind the resource. Deity is the cause be behind the effect. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Deity is the sun behind the rays. Do you understand the difference? So when you talk about, you say Jesus is divine. You're talking about his attributes, his God-likeness, his nature. His nature, his God-likeness, his attributes were not invisible. But, his, but Jesus, as to his deity, you haven't seen all of God. Even though God was in Jesus, you haven't seen all of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across to you tonight? You know, you go up there and you go out there to the Atlantic Ocean. 
And you go out there and you grab a little water and you say, you know what? You come home, you say, I went to see the Atlantic Ocean. You didn't see the Atlantic Ocean. You saw a part of the Atlantic Ocean. You got a glimpse of the Atlantic Ocean. That is an example of divinity. But deity is your, when, you, when you are capable to see the whole Atlantic Ocean at the same time. That's deity. So no man has seen God at any time. They have not seen God in all his fullness. They have not seen God in all of his deity. It is impossible. But they did see him in the Old Testament in his attributes, his divine nature, when he revealed himself to them in power, etc. Do you understand? Give the Lord some praise. Jesus comes into the world. He is the Word of God made flesh he is God the invisible spirit come in a visible form so that you can now see the will of God the purpose of God the plan of God and the thought of God personified in the son he's Jesus the son he's not just Jesus the father he's Jesus the father in the son giving sight to the invisible God Give God some praise. So when you talk about sonship, you're talking about when God comes in a visible form. The invisible God coming in visible sight. It is. When you talk about Jesus the Son, that is Jesus. That is God in His manifestation in an earthly presence. It is the presence of God in an earthly realm. Give God some praise. When He walked the earth. There are seven sonships of Jesus. Say, Jesus the Son. You can sit there and look at me all you want to. But I'm, I hope I'm in a Pentecostal one God church tonight. You can see Jesus the Son in seven sonships in the Word of God. Give God some praise. And it has to do with God in this. Are you here? So you can see God. Give the Lord praise. Jesus is called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is God in humanity. When you say Son of Man, you're saying God in humanity. When you say Son of Man, you're saying He is the Christos. He is the Messiah. The Christos is the visible manifestation of an invisible God. He is Son of Man, God in humanity. Give God praise. God in His Messiahship. Messiah, when He comes, will show you God. Messiah, when He comes, will make God known he is the son of man give God praise he is the son of God the Bible says which means he is God in divinity say God in divinity he is God in the power he's God and he's hallelujah attributes he's God in his nature he is God in divinity when you say son of God give God some praise Say, Jesus the Son. <clears throat> he is the Son of Mary. What is Jesus the Son of Mary? This is God in redemption. God in redemption. 
He is Jesus, the son of David, which means God in kingship. He is Jesus, the son of Joseph, which means God in prosperity. Joseph means to add God in prosperity. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah to the name of Jesus. I said, give him a good praise tonight. He is, I gave you the son of Mary, he is the son of a woman, which means God in redemption. Say praise the Lord. He is the son over his own house. Hebrews chapter 3 says that. God in sonship is over his own house. And that speaks of God in his power and God in his authority in his house called the church. Now what is unique about that is to say Jesus the son is the son over his own house. Say his own house. For it to be his own house that means he has to be father. Because you can't be son over your own house without all so being the father at the same time that'll drive theologians completely insane they don't know how to explain that one to say that Jesus is God in sonship over his own house do you get the point when you talk about sonship, it's God in seven ways. It's God in seven forms and seven different types of realizations and seven different types of revelation of God. Give God praise. <clears throat> but I like the last one. He's the son over the father's house. He's the son over his own house. And that passage describes that house as being the father's house. If he's the son over his own house, then he's got to be the father and son at the same time. Give God some praise. So he is Jesus the Son. He's not just Jesus the Father, an invisible spirit. Praise God. Thank God that the Father came in human form. And that humanity that the Father was in was none other than the Son. It was God in visible manifestation. It was God in revelation. It was God in manifestation. It was God in activity. Not the second person. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. So, if you say, uh, the Bible says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, the Bible says in verse 18, 18, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So now we have a visible form to an invisible God, and it's God in sonship. Give the Lord some praise. <coughs> Woo, hallelujah. <coughs> And verse 18 says, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. Which means He is not the eternal Son. In His humanity, He had a beginning. And in His humanity, He will have an ending. As far as the role of sonship, it has a beginning and it has an ending. But it's just simply this. It's God in visible human form. Give the Lord some praise. So, I'm going to go with what the Bible says. No man has seen God at any time, but it's Jesus that made him visible. Now, if God is a spirit, where did you ever see him? If he was, even, if he was seen in the Old Testament, he was seen verbally. If he was seen in the Old Testament, he was seen in a visible form called a theophany. He was seen in the angel of the Lord, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. That was a visible manifestation of God, but you still didn't see God. 
Because God is everywhere. We told you last week that if God is everywhere, that means that he's even in nowhere. You got it? If God is everywhere, God is even in nowhere. Just spell nowhere. N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Now here. So there's nowhere that God is not. Because God is everywhere. And if God is a spirit and he's everywhere, when did you ever see God? When did you ever see the Atlantic Ocean? You got a glimpse of it. You got a glimpse of him in the divine nature. In the Old Testament, when he came in the form of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the revelation of God to man. When did you ever see God? The Bible says, the earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. And the earth is his footstool. Where did you ever see God? Oh, some of you would make good Baptists. You need to run down the street going to Baptist church. You'd make a good Baptist, honey. You got the part down just right. When did you ever see God? If the earth is his footstool and heaven is his throne. Sun 90, what is it, 90,000 miles away, something like that? 90, what is it, million? 90 million miles away. The sun, his throne is beyond that. Bible said the earth is his footstool. He's got long legs, man. They're at least 90 million miles long if the earth is his footstool. He just pops his big toe up on the earth. Do you understand? You can't contain God. When did you ever see him? I saw his foot, Pastor. Oh, really? If his foot, if the whole earth is his footstool, when did you ever see his foot? You might have saw a part of his foot, but you never saw the whole foot. In fact, I'll just tell you, you know, the Bible said the earth is his footstool, but I'm going to tell you something. It's probably just his toe. Because even at that, that's just an anthropomorphic term, which is God uh, revealing himself in a a human description so you can grasp him. The earth is not even big enough to be his footstool is what I'm trying to tell you. He has just described himself in a visible human description. Descriptions of deity and divinity. Hallelujah, mighty God. Hallelujah. He's awesome. I said he's awesome. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. He is the begotten son of God. He is God's plan, God's thought, God's purpose, and God's will become visible form and walk in this earth. You say, you know what? There's the will of God. There's the plan of God. There's the word of God come in a visible form. Isn't Isn't that awesome? But when you saw Jesus, you didn't see all of God. All the fullness of the Godhead was in him, but not all of God was in him. He is the headquarters of the Spirit of God, but you can't put all of an eternal spirit inside of that man, Jesus. Give God some praise. God as a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. 
God as a spirit dwells throughout all space. God as a spirit dwells throughout all time. He dwells throughout space, all space. He dwells throughout all time and at the same time outside of time and at the same time outside of space so that space and time is in him and he is also outside of it. Give God some praise. So when did you see God? His spirit. Give Lord some praise. God is eternal. He's not limited by time or space. He fills all of space and time. And he's on the outside of it at the same time. That's how big he is. You didn't hear what I said. I'm talking about everything there is. Everything in the universe. Every star, the farthest galaxy. Come on. He is in all of that. And he's on the outside of all of that. He contains it. It doesn't contain him. How can you contain God? How can you say God is sitting on a throne? You can't contain God in a seat. So who are you to think that you can take God. And bring him into a laboratory. And dissect him. Who are we to think that we could take God and take him into a laboratory, a laboratory and to examine God? Who are we to think that we can do that? Finite creatures trying to define and dissect or see an infinite God. You don't even know who you are. How do you think you can dissect God when you don't even know who you are? And you can't even explain why you're going through what you're going through. And you think you can explain God. You can't even explain yourself or what you're going through. So to subject him to a laboratory analyzation is impossible. No man has seen God at any time. Two things you don't know. Two things I don't know. God in all his fullness. And number two, yourself. The psalmist says, what is man? You don't know who you are. So how can you claim to know you know God? I got a glimpse of him here a little bit. I haven't seen all of God. If he fills all time and all space, come on. You take him and you're going to try to put him in to and analyze him in the laboratory. Put him under a microscope. Are you with me? Well, what part of him is in the past? What part of him is in the present? And what part of him is in the future? Did you hear what I said? What part of him is past? What part of him is present? And what part of him is future? Is his left foot the past? Is his face the future? Is his right foot the, future, the, the, the present? If you could take him in there and analyze him, would you even know what parts you were looking at? Give God some praise. 
See, our little, our little finite mind. And I, you know, theologians want to try to say, you know, explain God. I want you to know, even my understanding that God was in Jesus, in sonship. I still have a hard time understanding all the equity. What that's all about. Let me just get right down there with you. I don't know what that's all about. But I know that God was in Christ. Not all of God. What part of God is in the past? What part of God is in the present? And what God, part of God is in the future? <laughs> Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You talk about the word of the plan of God. You talk about his thoughts. You talk about his mind. You talk about his word. You talk about his plan, his purpose, his will. You talk about that. I got a question for you. What part of his plan is in the past? What past thought was in what past thought was in the past? There's no such thing as a past thought with God. God doesn't have a past thought in the past. He is I am. He is the eternal God. He inhabits all of time and he's outside of time at the same time. What are you going to say? That this was a past thought and then say this is the present thought and then say that's a future thought. Come on, it's impossible. His thoughts don't have a past, present, and a future. They're all in him. In him it's already done. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo. Is his present thought in the past? If he had a present thought a minute later, was that in the past? No. Come on, man. He dwells in all time. It's outside of time. Give God some praise. So what was with God? His plan, his thought, his blueprint, his word, his purpose, his will. That was with God. Come on. But was that past, present, or future? See, I'm trying to make you think. Revelation 13, verse 8. Let's go there. Give God some praise. No man has seen God at any time. Revelation 13, verse 8. I'm almost done. 13, verse 8. He says this. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So that in him... You with me? If I just said there is no such a thing as his past thoughts or his future thought or his present thought. God, I'm going to read to you again, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Do you ever think about that? How is that possible? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All of time and all of space exist in Him. The only place that you can locate. Come on. Beginning before it ever begins is in Him. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love theologians, man. 
They're going to try to analyze God, dissect God. The only place that you can find beginning before it begins is in Him. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All time and all space exists in Him. Do you understand? There is no past, present, or future in Him. It's all now. In the Holy Ghost, it's always now. I tell you what, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Only in Him can things begin before they begin. And only in Him can things happen before they happen. And you're going to try to explain him to me. Praise God. You're not not wanted, but somebody's going to want it somewhere. God gave himself to the cross before he created Calvary. God gave himself to the cross before he created Calvary. Before he ever became a son. Before he ever became a man. He gave himself to the cross before he ever created Calvary. Because he was slain from the foundation of the world in the mind of God. Only in God can things happen before they happen. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. God in sonship. You with me? Died in himself. With, in, in the plan. God in his plan of sonship. Died in himself before he came in sonship. And before he was crucified in the flesh. We talked about how God died in sonship. God can't die, but that that died, he that died was God. God died in sonship. He's the only one that can exist in life and death at the same time. He's the only one that can be in the grave and in heaven at the same time. He is everywhere. God, I'm going to say again, God in his plan of sonship died in himself before he came in sonship. Did you hear that? And before he was crucified in the flesh, he died. Would you get my hanky? He went into the grave. Come on. He went into the grave before Joseph and Nicodemus was ever born. Did you hear what I said? Before there ever was a Joseph of Arimathea and a Nicodemus to take his body off of a cross and put it in a sepulcher. Come on. He went in a grave before a grave was ever, before there ever was a Joseph and a Nicodemus. He lay three days in that sepulcher before there was time as we know it. And you're going <laughs> to... Analyze him. He came out of the grave. 
before there was a grave. He was declared to have all power in heaven and in earth before there ever was an earth. John explains this Jesus, that Jesus makes visible all of this in a visible God. So that in time, all that he had already done in the spirit, in eternity, in his plan, in his thoughts, in his purpose, in his will. Now he comes in time to fulfill it. And makes it known. Give God some praise. So you're going to tell me you can analyze God? No man has seen God at any time. He dwells in all space and all time. He's on the outside of all time and all space. And only in Him can a thing happen before it happens. Now try to explain that one. But that's what the Bible tells you. Revelation 13.8 The Lamb was slain. From the foundation of the world. So you want to say, okay, that was God in the past. Oh, really? Can you put God in the past? Can you put the eternal God without beginning or ending of days in the past of anything? Or the present of anything or the future of anything? Yeah, I know he came and fulfilled it in time. He walked it out. But I'm talking about God's spirit. Which brings me to my last point, the right hand of God. Let's go over to Acts chapter 7. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm having a good time. Acts chapter 7. We're going to close with this one, the right hand of God. Say, God in sonship. Jesus is the only God you're ever going to see. One hour. Whew. Lord. Brother, you're chopping my arms off again. Chopping my head off, actually. Acts chapter 7, real quick. I'm going to finish this. Thank God. I love the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 7. Hallelujah. I didn't bring you a sermonette tonight. I brought you some word. You know what I think it is? You're just jealous. No glory to me. Glory goes to him. John, Acts chapter 7. Watch this. You remember Stephen was being killed? Being stoned to death? In Acts chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. He didn't see God. No man has seen God at any time. The only, ever God, only God you're ever going to see is in the face of Jesus Christ. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So somebody would say, well, there's the Father right there. And Jesus is standing right beside him on the right hand. There's the first person and there's the second person right there. Oh, really? Where is God's Spirit? Come on. Where is the right hand of a spirit? Did you hear that? He saw the glory of God just standing on the right hand of God. It is a metaphor. 
It is God using metaphorical speech. It is metaphorical divine speech. It is God speaking to you as God using metaphors. When he talks about the right hand, it's not one God standing next to another God or one person of God with another person of God standing next to him. It is divine metaphor speech. It is God in metaphorical terms. Because if God is a spirit, and I told you he feels all time and all space, and he's all outside of that, and there's no place, come on, that he is not, he is everywhere, he's even in nowhere. So if he is that large, then where's his right hand? And if you think you're real smart, you say, okay, well, the ride has to be something, you know, you got a middle point and somewhere on the other side of a medium, somewhere on the other side of a middle point is the right hand. Well, then you got another problem on your hands because then you got to find half of God. Amen. So where can you find half of God? Where can you find half? the left side of a medium point and the right side of a medium point is impossible. God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son. He hath revealed him. He hath declared him. The only God you're ever going to see is Jesus. And the right hand is God in metaphorical speech. So I can't find the right hand of, of a spirit. Even I can't find the right hand of an angel spirit. Much less the right hand of eternal God. Omnipresent God everywhere. God all-knowing God. Omnipotent God all-powerful God. I can't find his right hand. Can you find his middle point? Somebody say amen. amen. See, you're, you need to see him. That's my point tonight. You need to see him. He's about that big to some of you. You need to see him. And the way you see him is by his word. The way you see him is by his written word, his spoken word, and his living word. The only God you're ever going to see is when he reveals himself in sonship. Not the second person of anything. Give God some praise. <clears throat> and by the way, if, you could, if, he did, if the Spirit of God did have a hand, keep in mind we talked about the earth is his footstool. If it took the whole planet for him to prop his big toe up, metaphorical speech of deity, then where in the world, pray tell me, did you ever see his full hand? Because if that eternal spirit of God did have a hand, it'd be so large, you couldn't see his hand. You could only see a part of his hand. So the Bible said, Stephen saw the glory of God and, uh, the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. It is metaphorical speech of deity. Because you have never even seen his pinky, much less his whole hand. Because he fills all space and all time. And there is no past, present, or future with him. He is eternal God. So for you to take that passage and try to prove that there are three separate persons in the Godhead or two, you're crazy. I've never even seen his, his toenail. I've never even seen his fingernail, brother. Much less his full hand. 
But I felt this hand. I know what the prophet Ezekiel felt. Bible said the hand of the Lord came on Ezekiel and he prophesied. What does that mean? That mean a big old hand coming out of heaven and it squished him like a bug, man. No, it's metaphorical speech of deity. It is God saying, I have anointed you with power, Ezekiel. When his head comes on us, that means he has anointed us with power. And the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel and the hand of the Lord came upon his church. That is his power. So, all right, if God has a right hand, tell me where it is. If, you, if Stephen saw that, literally saw that, you understand? The earth is his footstool. The heavens is his throne. You can't contain God in a seat. You can't contain him in a seat. You can't, the universe can't even contain him. A throne can't even contain him. And you're going to say that Stephen saw God? The Spirit of God and then Jesus over there beside him? The only thing he saw, he saw Jesus who is God. He saw Jesus. The right hand speaks of power. He saw Jesus in power. He saw Jesus in mediatorship. He saw Jesus as the glorified son. He saw Jesus as God. Not in an earthly human body now. Limited in time and space. But he saw God in a glorified son. Jesus having all power. Jesus having all authority. Jesus is God. He saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> There is no end to his spirit. You can sit there and be all dry, dead you want to be. But I'm telling you, there is no end to the spirit of God. Woo! So what God did was... He simply did this. He said, okay. He said, I as God, eternal spirit, I'm going to come. I'm going to move. I'm going to operate. I'm going to be in activity in different modes or manifestations. I'm going to come as the Father. That Father is a manifestation of God. With me? Son is when God comes in human form to redeem mankind. To be a mediator between God and man. To destroy the works of the devil. To set up the kingdom age. Come on somebody. To judge all things. And after that, the sonship is over. Give God some praise. Now close with 1 Corinthians 15. That's all I'm going to talk about on that Acts 7 passage. Listen, because i got to close. Rome, 1 Corinthians 15. Watch this. Jesus in sonship. He had a beginning. God come in the flesh. And the role of the son also has an ending. The difference between Jesus right now, God in sonship now, versus what he was when he walked the earth was, he did not have a resurrection body. But now he's the glorified son of God. You with me? 
1 Corinthians 15, when he gets through doing what he was purposed and sent to do, accomplish the will, the purpose, the plan, the thought of God, as God, in visible form, then there will be no need for the role of a sonship. Say amen. amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Where is his feet? I know now he's got a body in Jesus Christ. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him. It is manifest that he is accepted. At which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him. Then shall the son also himself be subject unto him. That put all things under him. That God may be all in all. So that when God gets through operating and fulfilling his purpose, his will, and his plan through the role of sonship. The Bible said the role of sonship will end. And Jesus will be known as God all in all. You're not going to say then after he has. After he has come to redeem man to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. Man and God come that way to redeem us. And then are you here tonight? Crucified, dead, buried, and ascended. Now is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's coming a time, my friend, when he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. He's going to destroy the works of the devil. Come on, he's going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. And when you get beyond the, that, then you got God. Jesus, no longer seen as son. But Jesus, God all in all. But that doesn't mean that the body of the son will end but his role of son will end revelation 22 last scripture thank you jesus revelation 22 <clears throat> so that we have a body of god all the way at the end of the book of revelation and that body is jesus christ so that god will always work through his son his body but the role will be over. Come on. Amen. Revelation 22. Thank you, Jesus. Are you here tonight? Verse 4. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So even when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, God is still going to be in that body, the glorified Son of God. Give God some praise. But there will be no need for redemption. There will be no need for mediation. God will be all in all. His name is Jesus. The only God you're ever going to see is Jesus Christ. Give God some praise. Jesus in the Son. Jesus the Son. Hallelujah. Give Him praise. He's worthy of praise. There's nobody like Him. There's no God beside Him. There's no God before him. There will be no God after him. He is God all by himself. And his name is Jesus. 
And if he's not all God, he's not God at all. If he's not totally God, he's not God at all. But I declare to you today that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The invisible became visible and the sightless became visible. You can see him now in Jesus Christ. And I thank God for the truth. I thank God that I know he's not a second person, but he's God. The word come in the sun. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight.